Hello and welcome to Property Matters, supported by Fairview International Property Consultancy and auctionproperty.co.uk. You can find this weekly property show live every Sunday at propertymatterstv.co.uk or by searching Property Matters TV in YouTube or Facebook. Whenever or wherever uh, we are enjoying the show, please get involved with the comments section below and uh, we have an email address as well. Hello at propertymatterstv.co.uk. You can also get the show every Monday at 10am on a podcast wherever you get your podcasts from uh, and the list of those are on the screen there now. So let's take a look at this week's news with our property expert Joe Joshi. Hi Joe. Hi Paul, hi everybody. Um, yeah uh, as always plenty to talk about in, in the property world um, and um, uh, there's there's a mixed bag of, of goodies that I'm sure Paul will throw, throw at me and as always test my uh, um, uh, knowledge as to where we, we should be doing uh, and we, what we should be doing within the property world. Yeah, we're talking about uh, home upgrades this week. We're off the political agenda this week after last week's fairly <laughs> full-on debate. However, we're talking about what you can do to your property and what you can't do to your property to make the price uh, go up. So home cinemas, loft conversions and solar panels are among the home improvements that reduce the sale income potential of a property by as much as 12300 according to the property maintenance company Help Me Fix. Sellers should instead invest in a garage conversion, build a garden office or create open plan living if they plan to boost the sale price. Removing a bath for example and replacing it with a standalone shower in the family bathroom costs £2,765 to do. However, it's thought that actually uh, it would reduce the home value by as much as 2%, uh, bringing an income reduction on the average home of £8,683. However, a garage conversion could increase sale profit by 15840 building a garden office boosts the profit by just over £12,000, and creating open plan living puts an extra ten grand in the seller's pocket around about. So it's interesting, isn't it, Joe? Home cinemas, well, I kind of guess that's an obvious one, isn't it? Because uh, that's a very specific use for the room. But loft conversions and solar panels uh, are the ones that can uh, reduce the property. I'm surprised at loft conversions. Well, I mean, it's it's all about how they're done, I think, Paul. That, that's what really sort of matters in, in this. Loft conversions, um, uh, in my journey, I have seen a myriad of of loft conversions <laughs> a, a a ladder up to the loft with a loft which has been boarded out theoretically could conjure up a loft conversion um a um, velux window as opposed to maybe a dormer window conjures up the image of a loft conversion those amazing um watch your step spiral staircases that if you actually miss the sync synchronization of your step, you are likely to come down them like a little, you know, uh, I don't know, a deck of cards, I suppose, <laughs> and, and damage yourself. Um, conjures up a loft conversion because you managed to put some um, Meccano set um, staircase up to the loft which you only go up there with your life in your hand with, and if you miss the step, it's done. So it's quite interesting, isn't it, really, what, what people would see as a loft conversion. But a loft conversion that adds value is a loft conversion that is done correctly, and that is definitely not going to be done um, in the price range that perhaps 
one normally thinks that it could happen. The other thing about loft conversions, of course, is that it's all very well saying that it's a loft conversion, but if it's not done and supported correctly, you are going to create a damage to the actual infrastructure or the structure of the property because the rafters that are up there. So some people, I've been, I've been through lofts, many a lofts, and they take out the supporting rafters because it's kind of obtrusive, it's in the way. But what they don't realise is they've actually now weakened the actual position of the, um, the roof that is being held together. And subsequently, it starts to bow. Um, but it's a, one of those DIY situations. Well, it's not really doing anything. So why don't we just chop it out of the way and, you know, um, we, we won't have to bump our head on it or something like that. So there's, there's a whole bunch of things about loft conversion, but a proper loft conversion will cost you um, quite a bit of money. I would think that you are looking at anything between 30 to 50,000 um, pounds in order to then it will add value of course because it's a proper useful room loft conversions are also for someone like yourself paul who is very tall um, is not going to find it very easy to be in a loft conversion because that loft might actually not be a high-pitched area where you're actually even going to be able to stand up straight let alone get into it in the right mm -hmm. way um, so, you know, a good loft conversion would add tremendous value to a property, but that loft conversion is going to be circa 50 or thousand pounds. And the other thing that you've got to bear in mind when people do loft conversions, I'm going to go on about this for a bit, so sorry about that, um, is, that um, is that the whole of the house from top to bottom is going to require updating. Because to get to the loft, you're not actually going to take the loft roof off and then do it. You're actually going to end up going through the house. And as you go through the house, you are going to your builders, your developers, whoever you're going to employ, with all the best will in the world, are going to put scuff marks, scratches, bashes, walls, all the way through. And isn't it ironic that when a loft has been done nicely, amazingly, the rest of the house now looks really rubbish. Um, because the architraves that are painted, the staircase that looks nice, going up to the thing, and the rest of the house then starts looking a bit dated. So you start thinking, oh, I'll do this. And so the next thing you know is you've got a, a, a whole house being at least painted and redecorated, which normally means that the flooring's got to be changed. And then maybe the carpets have got to be changed because they're ruined by going up and down them in the first place and so forth. So think very carefully, I suppose, is what I'm trying to say in terms of when you're talking about a loft conversion. And, you know, people in the, in the marketplace flippantly say a loft conversion will add or, or detract from the value. It would add a good, good value if it was done properly, so it's useful. And of course, it's going to detract if it's done badly. Um, and it's just what, like I said earlier on, one of those where you've got a loft ladder, you pull down with a hatch and that becomes your little study or, a, or, or something where you can go and put your desk and chair up and sit in the, in the top. And of course, you will also, when it's hot, really, really boil up the top there because it's, yeah. it's like a sauna because it's uh, heat rises and it's up, 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 up the top there. But of course, lofts are not often um, lagged and, um, and um, insulated well. And that's probably where you would save money and add value if those things were done correctly. Sorry about mm. that loft bit, but you asked the wrong question. 
No, it's interesting because um, I'm still not sure if you're in favour or not, I suppose. <laughs> well, I am. I'm in favour of lofts, providing they are done correctly yeah. and they add value. At the end of the day, I'm always about adding value and doing the right thing. But if you're going to do a half a job, then don't do it at all because you're now nowhere um, and you can't call it a loft conversion. I suppose there is some ambiguity there because you could do a loft conversion that is actually for the purpose of doing a home office. So here it's saying that the loft conversion is likely to lose you money, but the office is going to get, add money. So wonder where that leaves us. Exactly. And then you say, you know, we'll go to the next point, which you're, you're going to bring up in a minute. But uh, then you, you, you've got to reduce or you can add. So I think an office space in the garden, one of these which you can buy in one of your garden centres and have done properly is probably much, much better and perhaps more useful than a possible loft conversion. Hmm. Interesting to see garage conversion come up, and it was a huge and very popular thing many years ago, but hasn't appeared on any of the sort of top 20 lists of must-dos to your homes for a long, long time. And it's an interesting one for me because the property I own, I've got two car parking spaces out the front and a garage. Um, so I'm thinking, would that be a good thing to do? Because there's still two parking spaces outside, but the garage currently at the moment is just full of junk. And the question then yeah. after that is, what do you do with the junk? Well, uh, Especially uh, if you've converted, converted the loft as well. That's, that's the point I was coming to next. So, so uh, yes, I think uh, first and foremost, garages are often full of junk. Um, the reason why the garages exist, just to sort of rewind the tape a little bit, is it forms part of the parking facilities that you have for your property. So when you're actually turning the garage into a room, that you are diminishing a parking possibility. Um, that means that your road that you live in is now going to have more cars parked in the road or halfway on the footpath and halfway on the road. And subsequently, the exterior appearance of your property is going to be something that, as you know, I'm a very um, great lover of making sure the exterior is attractive. But if you then come to visit that property and you're potentially perhaps one day thinking about selling it and find that you are actually going to be ducking and diving a million cars, half parked, half this way, half that way, that is a deciding factor for you to think to yourself, well, actually, I can't live here. You know, I've got four children, we've all got cars, if they're all parked up here, what am I going to do? It's not going to happen. So you just drive on and think, I'll go somewhere else. So by converting an existing garage, I'm not saying you're using it, but it really it should be used for, for a car, but it does add and detract value. It depends how it's done. If it's not tastefully done, I mean, I've seen garage conversions where the garage door still exists, um, and so from the outside, it looks as if you've got a garage there, but actually inside, they have converted it. So that storage, junk storage area is actually quite nicely done, maybe as an office and so forth. Um, on the other side of the coin, they do put some windows in there. But of course, the minute you do that, you are required to get some sort of planning permission to make sure that you are able to convert that. Now, if you go down the route of planning permission to get that done, then the likelihood is that you may not get the planning permission because you've now told the authority of what you're thinking of doing, which is why a lot of people leave the garage door um, looking like a garage door and start petition the inside of it 
and um, and convert it into a habitable room overlooking the back so that they you know there's no reason for them to ask for planning so you know you could always reinstate the garage if you're if you're selling and it causes a problem um so garage space is there but of course as you say where does the junk go so it can either go into the loft which if you may not have converted um and of course uh, or you can put another shed in the garden and if you've already got a stamp sized garden to add another shed in the garden to um fill up with all the junk out of the garage which you've got to convert into a room you know we have a limited space it's all designed in that way now the older properties are the ones that always have the massive benefits why do they have that well normally they've got a reasonable sized garden so you don't really feel that you've lost a lot of garden if you've stuck a, a you know garden office towards the back or to the side of the property but in a modern property, they are built to max. They are absolutely to the brim. So the chances of you actually adding a lot to it um, is very, very slim. Um, and therefore, what's going to happen is you're going to end up moving and then you've got to work out the cost of moving and so forth. I suppose, Joe, you could actually put a stud wall in perhaps a third of the way back into the garage, just past where the up and over door goes into. And then you'll get a reasonable size room for like a TV room or maybe even a home office. Yeah, in fact, you can have the best of both worlds at that point, Paul, because you can have the storage for your garden tools at the front of the house where the up and over door still works. And then you've actually you've got rather than a junk room, you've actually got yourself a useful room that you can either use as a study or a or a um, you know games room or a TV room, um, and then also it opens straight back onto the garden, so that makes it a little bit more like a garden room if you want to do as well. But what you're actually saying is, as soon as you brick up that front garage door and you start putting windows in the frontage there, that's when you've got to go and see the council. Yes, <laughs> you're always going to get someone um, say, "Oh, that's not what it's supposed to be." So part of the reason people do the Petitioning inside is it just avoids that issue, and also because it's not a permanent thing. If any at any one time the council were to turn around and say, "Well, look, you haven't met with building regulations, or it's not compliant to planning, etc." It's a temporary thing; you can take it out. It's when it becomes something permanent that they actually start to make a, a, an issue. So, if you turn around and put a front door and window in there, then yes, what they're going to say is two things. One thing is that it needs planning permission and building regulation, and two you know what what how is this being used because sometimes people have turned those garages into a little annex or a or a, a lettable studio and and theoretically it might be deemed as another residential um, property that is being used so therefore you could be liable for separate council tax etc etc as well so they basically want to, to know what's going on. Is it a contentious issue for councils? Because you see a lot of them as you drive around, don't you? It is, um, and it's, it's a bit of a, you know, bit of a silly thing to have, really. One is that you need the space, um, and so you do what you've got to do to get the space. The second is to get the space correctly, you need to go through the planning authority, and then someone at the planning authority is likely to turn around and say, it doesn't meet our reg regulations, so you can't have it. Um, so that then means that you've highlighted the fact that you're thinking about doing that. And the minute you do do anything of that sort or somebody reports that you've done it, you then get into hot water legally and so forth. So it's a real 
real fine line as to what you should or shouldn't do. But the, the answer to the question is, yes, you should do it correctly uh, with the appropriate planning permission and the authority. But the authority and the planning permission actually makes you want to do it perhaps illegally because it actually causes you a problem by doing it right. So if you went to the council and they had a problem with you doing that conversion, would you still be able to then just put a stud wall behind the garage door and no windows in, obviously, and just have an access for internally? Would you be able to do that? Well, it's a risk factor at that point because someone, let's say one of your neighbours that you fall out with, has visited you and they've seen what you've done on the inside and half the you know, it's the old, old, old adage that you, know, you keep your friends closer, you keep your enemies even closer. And the people, <laughs> people that actually are going to shop on you are the people that, you know, you fall out with. And it might be over a garden fence. And all of a sudden, they're the ones that are going to go and say, well, actually, you know, 29 Acacia Avenue, they've got um, a garage showing at the front. But I've been there for a coffee and I fell out with a lady and they've actually turned it into a room. And so someone's going to squeal about it somewhere. So sometimes it's better you know not to highlight it and that's what most people tend to do um, but if you do highlight it then beware that it may come and bite you on the bottom of it later on they say home cinemas cost around fifteen thousand pounds to install uh, but only add 0.9 of a percent to the value of the house so just over two and a half thousand here they've got some figures on loft conversions they say that uh, in urban areas, they're particularly popular because, as you've said, you can only go up or down in, in crowded areas. Uh, 37,500 they estimate for a loft conversion, uh, and that adds 10.8% to the value of the property, so resulting in a 5,500 decline in sale profit. Uh, also, your favourite, the solar panels, um, which will only really uh, give you a return if you're going to stay in the property for a good length of time. They can result in decent energy price savings. However, in the short term, they add little to the property's value, half of a percent, and thus result in a 4,400 reduction in sale profit. But talking about, a, uh, they also say, by the way, things like smaller, more basic improvements, like new boiler, fixing the roof, or double glazing upgrade, that kind of thing, would probably be more sensible. Yes, I mean, things that are practical um, are, are actually going to give you um, a better, uh, you know, feel for your home. Things like double glazing, a new boiler, you know, um, proper central heating system, uh, operative. So all of those things are going to give you a better feeling. When people are buying, they want to know those are the basic costs. They are the, the things that you need to, to deal with. Um, and um, so what you have to sort of take on board is that the stuff that doesn't matter a great deal and is a long-term um, thing is things like um, the solar panels. I mean, you, like I said before, that you know it takes a long time to get a return on them. Apart from them being completely ugly, they are also um, um, just not um, something that brings brings value to the house. Let's just say I'm thinking about converting the garage to um, a, a room, and. I've obviously got to go and speak to someone who's going to be the architect who's going to do all the planning, do all the design for me. Um, and, you know, that aside, um, you know, he'll advise on whether I need to go and get planning permission or whatever. But who is the person that turns around to me and says to me, right, OK, if you do this, you're going to lose this much on the property. Or if you do this, instead, you'll make this much. Is that what the architect's able to help you with? Or do you, do you go and speak to an agent? 
In all honesty, um, it, it would really have to be your local agent, especially an established one who understands what the requirements are for people that are looking for property in that area. Um, people are often, um, you know, not, not to complimentary of, of their agents, but they are the people that are right on, uh, on the button with these things. They know that when people are coming to them, the kind of requirements that they have and what those requirements are going to fit. An architect is there because he is the one that's going to be able to put the actual infrastructure, the, the measurements, the drawings that are compliant to whatever the council's requirements are and so forth. So, and he would put in or put forward those things that are going to fit within that um, given area. Um, cannot say that they are an authority uh, of what is going to add value, what isn't. Fundamentally, their job is that, you know, if you give them a bit of space, they'll say, okay, well, within that space, I can do X based on the current requirements or the conditions that are provided by the council. Where an agent will go in there and say, well, look, actually, because, you know, there's a good school nearby or there's a good train station nearby or these things, and the kind of people that want to buy this particular property are going to need uh, maybe a study area. They're going to look at maybe, you know, the, the loft room converted, possibly even for maybe a member of uh, staff, like a nanny or something like that. So, you know, it's all of those things that will do. But an agent will know the kind of people that are going to show interest in those particular areas and, and what things done to those properties are actually going to add value to those properties. And our old friend, Open Living, um, many people have said, oh, that's the one big thing that everybody wants. I think we had it in a programme just recently, something like 60 or 70%, something around there of people look for open plan living when they're looking to buy your home. And we are in a uh, buyer's market now. So this is really to help the sellers to maximise the money they're going to get in tough times as we're, as, as we're going forward. That's going to be the case. So what about this open plan living then, Joe? So if you've, if you've got that kitchen and you maybe even got one of those little hatches that you used to open to serve your dinners through to the dining room. Do you remember those? <laughs> oh, my God, you're going back some time now. Yeah. So if you're still in that situation, what are you going to do about open plan? And, and um, what sort of return have you seen? Um, and, and, and what are the what are the what are, what's happened? When have you seen it done well? And when have you seen the pitfalls? So open plan, um, in my opinion, is, you know, not a particularly good idea, um, especially with the number of things that have changed in recent years. So if we go back a couple of years, a pandemic brought in the situation that we weren't all going to work. So we needed to work from home. And if you have an open plan and you have a couple of kids that are in the same room and the kitchen is open plan, cooking is going on, what is the likelihood of you actually being on a successful Zoom call without Nelly or Neddy or whatever to come down and say, you know, Dad, I want to do this. And she, the, the indoors shouts and says, I told you not to do such and such and blah, 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 blah. And so, so that's open plan living. Um, and that's when you sort of wish that there were walls back up and you could shut the door and even close the hatch um, so that you can't get served your tea and toast whilst you're in the middle of a Zoom call. Um, and so I think going back on that basis, um, I would definitely think that you need you need other um, other rooms um, that needs to be um, 
uh, dealt with. Um, so open plan living in, in my book is out. It's not, it is not something that we need to um, look at. Um, you should have a minimum of two rooms downstairs available um, apart from the kitchen. Um, so that there is a breakout room for the family and there is a breakout room so that either you've got a dining room or you've got a room where, you know, you, you have a family room and then you've got a room where you can go and do your own thing or you can have a, a private conversation on the phone or you can do other other things. But when open plan happens, yes, it's light, it's airy and it gives you that sense of space, but practically it doesn't. And I cannot imagine that in this current climate that open plan is the thing in fact i know for a fact that so many people started to reinstate some of those walls back in during the pandemic period because it became completely uncomfortable to be able to have an open plan conversation hence the home office world existed from um the sheds at the back garden you know those those things soared garden centers were Fill, fill, filled with people who are looking to buy a six foot by six foot garden shed with its own, you know, um, PowerPoints, etc., and down the bottom of the garden so that you can go and do your home office from there. So they, they did very, very well at that time. I don't think that um, open plan is, and I don't think it really adds value, Paul, to be perfectly honest with you. It looks good, but it doesn't work well. It's a bit like, you know, having one parking space in the front of the house open plan living, one downstairs cloakroom, um, kitchen, whatever. I mean, if you, if you go into the modern flats nowadays, those flats are all open plan because the kitchen and the living room is all in one. So you never seem to sort of escape it. Now you can understand that in a, in a flat, but in a home, in a house, it's, it's just not something that would be practical. Then there's the other side of the coin. And the other side of the coin is if you're cooking away you know, and you decided, as you would do, Paul, in your culinary skills, to do a very nice vegetarian biryani um, with all the masala that you're going to add to it. Um, and then, of course, you're going to make sure that aromatic uh, aroma of the masala is nicely spread throughout your property. Um, and and um, so as they open the front door, they're going to go, wow, Paul's been cooking again. And, um, and, and perhaps even the neighbors. So that is another area that makes it a little tough for um, people to live into the one room. So that's where open plan living in my side will probably go. Now, if you bring in some of the um, uh, cultural things for people like me as the Asian uh, contributor and others, then um, open plan is just definitely a no-no. Um, it just, just doesn't work. Often we want to extend so that we can add more rooms rather than detract. You might knock something at the back to make the kitchen area a bit bigger, but you're definitely going to keep a living room, a dining room and, and other things there. So, yeah, I'm not really sure where the open plan would go, but it doesn't give you the space that you want. I can understand that argument if you're going to open plan into the living room, the dining room and the kitchen. That would make no sense. But if you've got a completely self-contained living room, uh, surely the opportunity to take the dividing wall between the kitchen and the dining room down so that you've got them as one. Because one of the first things, of course, that was um, uh, people found useful about them was, you you know, if you were at home 
it sounds um, uh, it's going to sound a little sexist, but if one of the couple, one of the partners of the family were home cooking, they could keep an eye on the kids who were playing around the sort of dining area, and it was a, an ability to be able to see where they were whilst they were getting on with something. Um, and you can see why people might want to sit while somebody's cooking. You know, if you've got friends coming round for, for dinner, they can sit around the table and they can chat to the person who's doing the cooking at the same time, whereas if you're in separate rooms, somebody's got to be isolated. So I think these are the reasons why it's popular, and certainly, you know, the vast majority of people want it. So um, do you think that would be a sensible thing if there's a separate living room? Yes, I, I'm not adverse to the open plan living of a dining stroke kitchen area amalgamated because the best room that most people spend most of their time is in the kitchen um, and, and a dining area so that, you know, you're chatting, you can have a glass of wine, you're cooking, you've got your kids playing nearby, something. That part of it is, is fine. When I, and I, when I say that I'm adverse to open plan is when they knock the entire guts out um, of the whole downstairs and then expect everybody to be in the same room doing all those things. That is not yeah. uh, a good open plan move, but an open plan move to extend the kitchen area with a dining area, which is, you know, which is 90% of where most people's home and heart is. The heart, you know, they say the heart of the kitchen, the heart of the house is the kitchen. And that's where most people spend. I mean, I've been to homes that have colossal sizes, anything between seven and a half to 10,000 square foot of a house. But most people, even in those massive great mansion houses, live in the kitchen, dining room, living room area. It's that sort of one, I don't know, one tenth of the space that mm. they actually live in. The rest of it, it just needs to be dusted and cleaned. Um, but it looks good that we have all that sort of space. Um, so that kind of open plan living, yes, definitely. I was referring more to the fact that you take the guts out of the entire downstairs. Sure. What about uh, all of us? That's cons I think we've both got conservatories on our properties. So what about uh, the fact that they're, they're now longer, no longer considered to be a uh, um, essential part of the home? There seems to be people are knocking them down in favour of the bifold doors. So where do we go with that one? Well, I think, I think the conservatories came in, and for us, certainly, uh, the conservatory added a lot of things um, and it really depends on what you know your views are and, and, and what your garden facilities are and so forth so we um, enjoy the fact that our conservatory allows us to look over a, a decent sized garden and that makes it work work well for us um, it also meant that it was another room and you know by folding doors yes you can we can whack those across the back and bring the outdoors in and make the indoors out and all that kind of modern stuff. But you can do that with most things. I mean, last week, I think it was a week before, I can't remember, we were discussing the difference between oratories and conservatories. Um, and the fact is that they all create another room. And so when you think about, you know, in our earlier part of this conversation about open plan living, and then on the other side, on the flip side, you're actually going to add an orangery or a conservatory. So you knock the guts out of a house and then you say, oh, I need to another room because, you know, that's where it's going to be. So I think you've got to, you've got to sort of balance out exactly where, where that's going to go. Um, and I think, yeah, I mean, conservatories are definitely still in. OK, it might be a more posher version with orangeries, but uh, it just means that we still need that other room. 
I think into wrapping up this conversation and wrapping up this week's edition, Joe, it's probably important to stress the fact that do your research and get some expert advice before you do any of these things. Absolutely. Look, at the end of the day, when you're in it, you don't see it and you only see what you think is right. So there's no harm in getting a view. You know, agents will be happy to come round to your property, A, to give you a, a free market appraisal. And while they're there, you may as well pick their brains and say, you know, I was thinking about doing this. What do you think about this and so forth? And, you know, li listen to what they've got to say. But they are on, on the ground. They're right in front of you. So they, they would know what's going on. And based on that, you can then decide whether you want to get an architect in to add and take some, um, you know, proper drawings to make sure you can submit them or leave it. No, you know, don't fix something that's not broke. Sound advice as always, Joe. Thank you so much indeed for that. And I uh, hope you enjoyed this special edition of um, Property Matters. We'll be back at the same time next Sunday, 10am.